as our shepherd Wade Weathers shared our 2020 budget with us and as we think of our 2020 vision and all of the good that this church does. Uh, Far more than the list that we saw up there, but countless things that people that are a part of this church family do to help and to serve and to share and to encourage. Um, It's quite a blessing to think of what God has in store for us this year. And it's an exciting thing to be a part of. But we know that Satan doesn't want us to succeed. He never has wanted God's people to succeed. Beginning in the Garden of Eden with the first lie and the first temptation and the first sin. That has always been Satan's agenda. It has always been his desire to defeat us and to defeat the one we love. And he does that even still today through many ways, including the persecution of the Lord's people. Persecution of those who profess faith in Christ is not a new thing, but neither does it show any signs of letting up. In fact, worldwide, the situation is worsening. We're a little bit sheltered in this country, and and we're thankful for that, that we don't experience the same kinds of difficulties and suffering and persecution that goes on around the world in many, many places. But it's important for us to remember that. And it's important for us to remember that when people of faith around the world, faith in Jesus Christ, suffer because of that faith, We should be aware and we should be prayerful and we should remember and remember them in particular. So a few um, statistics this morning. The number of countries where Christians are suffering persecution has risen from 108 in 2014 to 143 in 2017. In 2017, 477 anti-Christian incidents were reported just in India. More than 300 people died and more than 500 people were injured in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday just this past year when Islamic jihadists bombed three churches and three hotels. The number of Christians in Iraq fell from 1.5 million in 2003 to well below 150,000 last year. One of the great mission works that we support, as Wade shared, is Eastern European Mission, EEM. And for so long, for decades, they sent Bibles behind the Iron Curtain when the Soviet Union still existed. And since that time, they've been trying, and we've been very much a part of it, of putting Bibles in the homes and in the schools in the countries of the former Soviet Union, including Russia and Ukraine. And now part of their work is focused on these refugees, These people who have had to leave their countries because of their faith in Christ. It's a great ministry to be a part of. Seventy churches were attacked in Sudan in a 12-month period, including 32 churches, which were burned down to the ground. Church closings, arrests, surveillance, and church demolitions are part of life for China's 97 million people who profess faith in Christ. Between November 2017 and October 2018, 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith in the 50 countries ranked on the World Watch list as the worst nations for persecution of Christians, using the term Christian in the general sense of those who profess faith in Christ. 
Over 2,600 were detained in those countries without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. One in nine Christians worldwide experiences high levels of persecution, according to the World Watch list. One out of every seven live in a country where Christians are persecuted. 300 million people who have faith in Jesus Christ around the world are suffering persecution today. 300 million North Korea has been number one as the world's most dangerous place for Christians for 18 consecutive years. The top five are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. Eleven countries scored in the extreme level for their persecution of Christians in the World Watch list in their last report. Five years ago, North Korea was the only one. And now there are eleven. This type of treatment of people who profess faith in Christ is a reality today in many parts of the world, and the disrespect and even threats and harm for Christians in this country seem to have become more common than ever before. And as we watch the news and as we are constantly deluged with, with stories and with reports about the upcoming election and, and the years to come, we can only guess what is ahead for our children and our grandchildren in this country will they have a faith that will stand will they be willing to go to church when they have to pay a price for it much higher price than missing out on some activity that they're involved in but a price that could include physical or emotional harm If the church is to be a persecuted people, how will we respond? Will we give up on our faith because it is the apparent source of our suffering? That was what the Hebrew Christians who received the book of Hebrews were considering. Or will we hold fast to our Lord no matter the cost? As Wade shared in our prayer earlier, will we stand with Jesus regardless of the situation? What can we learn from the early church? What can the first disciples teach us? They experienced this every day. Can we have that same first century conviction in the 2020 church? A conviction so strong that it will hold fast to the faith, even if there is a price to be paid for believing and practicing that faith. How did the first disciples face persecution? Let's look at that this morning. And as we begin, we say this, as we have already shared from the book of Acts, the first disciples responded to threats with prayer. That was their first response. They responded to threats with prayer. They prayed about it. In Acts chapters 3 and 4, we're reminded of this story of Peter and John healing a man and then the Jewish leaders arresting them because of that and and questioning them because of that. And ultimately threatening them and asking them, what, what is this? How did you do this? And they said, well, look, we'll be very clear about this. This man stands before you whole because of the name of Jesus Christ, the one you crucified, the one God raised from the dead. And so they were finally released and, and they were told and threatened, don't, don't you dare speak anymore in this name. But they said, look... You decide whether we should follow you or God. 
We can't help but speak the name of Jesus Christ. Even if there is a price to be paid, we will continue to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Well, while they were being questioned, the church was diligently praying for them. And at the end of Acts chapter 4 is recorded one of their great, great prayers. Praying for boldness and courage to speak. The first disciples responded to threats with prayer, but, but what happened then? Was it, was it prayer and then when push came to shove and, and the swords were actually put to their necks and the stones were actually picked up, did they stop? Did they realize, oh, the threat is real? I could suffer because of my faith in Christ. Throughout the first years of the church, the disciples did not let persecution stop them. As Chad said during his communion thoughts from John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not hunger, will not thirst any longer. Why? Because that comes from Jesus. Not from the external circumstances that we might face, sometimes good, sometimes bad. All the time, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the source of our joy and the source of our peace. So throughout the first decades of the church, the disciples did not let persecution stop them. And here are some examples. Number one, the apostles. In Acts chapter 5, the threats become real. In chapters 3 and 4, they're just threatened, and they're told, don't speak any longer in this name. But in chapter 5, they're arrested again. This time, not just Peter and John. All the apostles are arrested by the Jewish leaders. And miraculously, God releases them. And so the next day, there they are, standing out in the middle of the street, speaking about the name of Jesus Christ again. <laughs> and when the Jewish leaders find out about it, they arrest them again. Only this time, they beat them. They flog them, that methodical beating that is made with whips and lashes and rods. Chad mentioned the cat of nine tails that the Romans would use. Ultimately, they would face that as well. And yet, they still spoke. They still spoke in the name of of Jesus Christ in Acts 5 verse 42 day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah we consider the first Christian martyr who was Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7 Stephen is one of the seven called to help and to serve because he was a man full of the spirit a man of compassion and a man of faith a man of conviction and he stood tall among the disciples of those early days. So much so that it's not one of the apostles or some other leader that is the first Christian martyr. It is this man, Stephen, who even though he was called upon and did help serve the widows within that first century church, he also was one who shared his faith. And he spoke the name of Jesus boldly, much the same as Peter did in Acts chapter 2. Much the same as Jesus did before he was killed on the cross. And so finally, at the end of chapter 7, the Jews had heard enough. And they pick up stones to kill him. 
And they begin to stone him, and yet Stephen cries out. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In verse 56, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, verse 57, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And those who were killing him laid their coats and jackets and sweaters and things that they didn't want to get bloody or that they didn't want to hamper them from throwing rocks at this innocent man. They laid them at the hands of the feet of a young man by the name of Saul, who had become the point man of persecution before his conversion to Jesus. Thirdly, we see James and Peter, two of the apostles. They all had been arrested. They all had been released. They all had been threatened. And now James and Peter are arrested again. King Herod arrests the apostle James, the brother of John, and has him put to death. And he is killed for the faith. And he sees that the Jews loved that so much that he arrests the apostle Peter. And he's going to do the same with him, but the church is praying. And there's nothing to guarantee that the same fate does not await Peter as happened to James. But Peter is miraculously released and rejoins the disciples as they are meeting and as they are praying there in Jerusalem. We consider the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 16 and 17 is just some of the difficulties that the Apostle Paul faced as he tried to share the message of Christ. In Acts chapter 16, as they begin the second mission journey, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy find themselves in Europe and find themselves in an important city in the Roman Empire, the city of, of Philippi, named after Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. And as they go there, they go and they find a place of prayer and they convert this great woman, Lydia, who calls on them to come to her home and stay there and let her take care of them while they're there. And they do. And then as they're preaching and as they're teaching and as they're going along, they, they're encounter, they encounter this slave girl who was uh, being taken advantage of by her owners because she had some gift of prophesying. And so they were using her to make money. And she was following Paul, Paul around and she was saying, you, you need to listen to these guys. These guys are the real deal. These guys are from God. They're telling us how we need to be saved. And finally, Paul had had enough of all of that, and so he commanded the Spirit to come out of her, and the Spirit did, and she could no longer prophesy, and that affected the men in the pocketbooks, and they wouldn't have that. So they had Paul and Silas arrested. They spent the night in jail after being flogged, after being punished, after being beaten. They find themselves in jail, and what are they doing in Acts 16? They are singing. They're singing hymns of praise to God, not because God delivered them from prison, because not because he kept them safe from being beaten, because that God sent his son, and that son died for them, and they got that. They knew that. They understood that, and there's no way they would keep quiet about it. And as you know from the story, the earthquake comes, and they are released and the Philippian jailer who had charge of them for the night was converted to Jesus Christ himself. 
In Acts chapter 17, their journey continues and they find themselves in Thessalonica in modern day Greece. And they go and the Jews are very jealous. And so they run them out of town. And they go to the neighboring town of Berea. And in Berea, the Thessalonians hire the same crew that they did in Thessalonica. And they go off to Berea and they run them out of that town too. And yet they kept speaking. And then finally, we see in 1 Thessalonians 1, the disciples, and we'll say more about them tonight, but it wasn't just the apostles. It was everyone. Everyone was suffering because everyone was speaking. And they were speaking the very same message, the message that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And there's no way, there's no threat, there's no suffering, there's no beating, there's no jail, there's no rock, there's no sword that can keep me from sharing that message, that can take away my joy. And so as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he he talks to them about when they came to faith in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, he says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What were they enduring? Verse 6 continues, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. This, these are the disciples that became Christians just before Paul and Silas were run out of town or maybe afterwards. And then in verse 9, Paul says this, how their story had gone worldwide. And it says, they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In spite of the suffering, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the threats, they turned to Jesus because Jesus was alive and the tomb was empty. As we consider the rest of the New Testament, again, the Hebrews were thinking of throwing everything away because the persecution was so tough. In James chapter 1, James says, look, consider it joy when you're persecuted. You're sharing in the blessing that came to Jesus and the others for their faith. And God is with you. And God will use this for your good and for the good of the kingdom. Peter writes in First and Second Peter to people in modern day Turkey who had to leave. They were refugees themselves and they were at the bottom of the social scale. And of course, the book of Revelation, written in that great apocalyptic genre simply because the people were suffering and the message was it's going to get worse before it gets better. Throughout the first years of the church, the disciples did not let persecution stop them, nor should we. Perhaps this treatment didn't stop the first disciples because they had come to expect to make sacrifices and endure suffering if they followed Jesus. They were told that from the start. And I don't mean in Acts chapter 2. They were told to expect suffering and expect to make sacrifices for their faith by Jesus himself. In John chapter 16, Jesus says this beginning in verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. 
They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when that time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to the one who sent me. How can we deal with this? How did they deal with this? Well, Jesus tells us in John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we want to say, wait, you didn't overcome the world. The world overcame you. You died on the cross that day. And Jesus just smiles and says, yeah, that's right. They had their day. But that tomb couldn't hold me. That stone was rolled away. And I was raised from the dead and I'm alive today and I will be forever be alive. And so will you, if you will trust me enough to not let stones keep you from following Jesus. To not let the embarrassment that you might feel from friends at school or at work who don't think that you should have faith at all. And from whatever price God calls us to pay in the future years, it is worth it. Because it can't take away our joy, it can't take away our peace, and it can't take away our hope. The first disciples were able to endure because they had come to expect to make sacrifices and endure suffering if they followed Jesus. Why should we demand or even expect things to be any different for us? Maybe it will be. Maybe not. Either way, we will stand with Jesus. Either way, we will hold on to our faith. Either way, we will continue to love and serve others no matter how they treat us. Either way, we will confess and share the name of Jesus Christ. Either way, we will trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy and joyful and at peace in Jesus than to trust and obey. Let's stand and sing our song.